You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. You know, I've always believed that you can't have too many profit centers in your restaurant. Well, online ordering is nothing new. But up until recently, if you took online orders, you had multiple pieces of hardware. That's right, multiple tablets with orders coming in on all these different devices. And you might have a dedicated person, whether that's a hostess taking the online orders or somebody else, but that's just crazy. We're talking about messed up orders and unhappy customers and wasted food and lost profits, not to mention the staff just throwing their arms up in frustration saying, I'm out of here, I can't deal with this. Well, today I'm speaking with Mr. Alex Cantor from a company called Ordermark, and he's innovated this whole process. He's a fourth-generation restaurateur from the famous Cantor's Deli in Los Angeles. I'm sure you've heard of it. Back in the glory days of Hollywood and the golden age of filmmaking, Cantor's was the place where all the Hollywood celebrities hung out. They still hang out there. Well, Alex came up with a better idea, and he's innovated, and he's tested this in his restaurant and in others, and now... All, you know, a lot of leading brands out there, a lot of leading chains that I'm sure you've heard of are all using Ordermark. So see for yourself if Ordermark might be the solution for your restaurant. It literally integrates one dashboard, one printer, all with your POS system. So see if it works for you. Check it out. Before we start the podcast, I'd like to thank my friends at Cake. Cake is the point of sale built for restaurants that's easy to set up and easy to use. It's simple, intuitive, cost-friendly, and designed to meet the demands of both quick and full-serve restaurants. Cake integrates online ordering and even waitlist management. With Cake Guest Manager, your guests can put themselves on your waitlist. Cake systems have actually increased guest counts by 25%. That's powerful. Support is just a phone call away. It's available 24-7-365, and training includes Cake University. Cake is cloud-based, so you never lose contact even if the internet goes down. No wonder guest satisfaction is so high. Why not get a free demo at trycake.com forward slash rockstar. If you purchase Cake, you'll get $750 off activation. Now, running your restaurant can be a piece of cake. Check it out. Did you ever wonder why your place is empty, even though it's $5 burger night and your drinks are half price? You look across the street and your competitor's busy. What's going on? Well, the answer is social Wi-Fi, which uses your guest Wi-Fi as a marketing tool to increase sales. Here's how it works. When your customers log in using their cell phone, email, or social media account, you grow your database, and you can now reach these customers in seconds via text or email. Social Wi-Fi is proven marketing firepower with open rates to 95% and conversions of 30%. That means for every 100 customers that you text, potentially 30 of these will respond to your offer, come in, and become repeat customers. That's powerful. Wi-Fi technology solutions are experts. For a limited time, they're offering unlimited texts at low monthly subscription rates. They provide everything you need full tech support, and training. See for yourself at getwifitech.com forward slash rockstars. Now, on with the episode. 
Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. We help restaurants improve their operations by building stronger brands, rocking their profits, delivering amazing guest service experiences. Today, I'm really excited to have Mr. Alex Cantor. He is a fourth generation operator. That name should need no introduction. Cantor's Deli in Los Angeles is famous. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Now, this business, Cantor's Deli, is literally uh, 85 plus years old. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, my great grandfather actually started Cantor's Deli in 1931. Uh, so, right after the Great Depression um, in Los Angeles. Yeah. And it's been in my family for four generations. My grandpa, my dad, my whole family has really worked there. And that's really kind of the golden age of Hollywood, isn't it? It's kind of the transition from silent pictures to, to full-on movies and all that sort of thing. And Yeah, it's, it's kind of acted as like an anchor of Hollywood. And it's, it's naturally over the years, it's been a hangout of the Hollywood crowd. And because it's 24 hours, it's, it's home to a lot of celebrities and a lot of regulars who come in uh, in the middle of the night and, and just... Uh, you know, right after the bars pour out or, or the nightclubs, the movies, everyone just kind of dumps in there. And it's, it's, it's one of those places where you walk in, it's like a time machine. Um, yeah. So a lot of the decor is still from the 1950s, and it's, it's, it's a special place. I'm sure you've met your share of celebrities, and it really doesn't matter what hour of day. They could walk in at any time. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, my first day back um, from college, I was working in the restaurant and, and President Obama did a surprise visit um, while I was there, which was so incredible and just so exciting for all the staff to meet him. It was a lot of fun. And, and That's awesome. I'm sure he was very unassuming, right? Didn't want any special treatment, but just a regular guy. Yeah, he um, he was coming for a meeting and he, he was very friendly. He took pictures with a lot of our staff. He took pictures with the family. Um, and it was, it was awesome to see him. He's such a normal guy. It's crazy. Well, you're now the CEO of a company called OrderMark, and we're going to get into all of that and how you saw the opportunity. But first, let's go back to your early days in restaurants. It's in your blood, clearly. It's in your family's blood. Did you literally work all the positions at Cantor's? Um, how did you get your feet wet? Uh, starting at 13 years old, I started waiting tables. Uh, that's kind of where I started. I remember the first day uh, we had this waitress, Jeannie, who was in her 70s. And I was supposed to shadow her around um, just to kind of get a feel for how it all worked. And I think after the very first table that I watched her, she threw me a book and said, your turn. <laughs> just kind of threw me into the deep end of the pool. And, and um, I had to figure out how to swim and I, I really enjoyed waiting tables. I enjoyed the conversations with, uh, with, with the customers coming in. And inevitably, I, I recognized that there were some issues with the way that the menu had been set up. And so after, after you know, a couple months of getting my hands dirty in it, I, I went to my dad and I said, Dad, why is the menu set up like this? Why does this item come with this side, but this item doesn't? And he said, fix it. So he kind of encouraged me from day one to just come in and if I didn't like something to change it and find a problem, fix a problem has been kind of the mentality uh, since day one. And I, I had a, an opportunity to work you know, behind the deli counter um, as a bartender, um, a 
for a couple of months, I even worked up in the bakery from 1 a.m. to 10 in the morning, just recording all the recipes down, watching the bakers bake every, uh, every night. And um, I, I've, I've had the pleasure of working kind of most of the different positions around the, the deli. Sounds like you were empowered by your dad to see something, fix what was broken. Don't touch the tried and true. Don't fix what isn't broken. But when you see something, that's really called empowerment. Do you believe in um, passing that philosophy down to your staff? I mean, are they empowered to see what the guest sees, fix what might be broken, make changes, or, or at least suggest those changes? Yeah, that, that's a big um, cultural practice that, that I, I've actually implemented at Ordermark, which we'll get into, but okay, it's kind of embedded in, in how I, I view how work should be. So it's, it's, um, it's pretty cool to, to learn from my dad, get inspired by different things that I saw in the deli and, and then kind of create my own version of that now. So you've really grown the business in your generation and you've obviously made some pretty sweeping changes. Have they always met with uh, approval from your, your relatives? <laughs> um, well, my family is very old school. The, the business itself is an old school restaurant. So yes. as as I was fired up with ideas and inspired to bring, you know, bring in all these entrepreneurial components to the business. I wanted to at one point get into product licensing, opening up additional locations. And I had all this energy of how to bring fresh ideas to this old school business. Um, and eventually I, I basically, you know, I would come up with, with, I wanted to do a new website. I wanted to bring in a POS system. Um, and there was some pushback from my family for sure. Yes. Um, but I did, um, I, I, I learned to build their trust over time and it, will, it took implementing some new technologies. Um, my dad and I particularly worked really well together. We implemented things like Groupon and Yelp ads and, um, and then eventually got to, to online ordering. And um, We really started with companies like Eat24 or Grubhub um, where we, we used to have our own delivery drivers. And the idea of kind of using someone else's drivers was a little bit scary. Like you never know, like, if they're going to go to the gas station first or how long the food would be sitting in someone's car. Um, but we really got comfortable with that after we, we got our feet wet and started getting, you know, a lot of orders coming through. And for us, um, <clears throat> we were surprised to see how many people were ordering matzo ball soup. That was like, you know, the top selling item on these online ordering platforms. Alex, you were talking about all the different positions you had in Cantors, and we talked about empowering your staff and making changes to an old school kind of place where it made sense, um, getting the support of your family, convincing them of, you know, new technology being the wave of the future. And we just started to touch on online ordering. So I've always been a big believer running restaurants and having multiple profit centers. You really can't have too many of those. So tell me where your ideas came from um, with online ordering, you started to experiment with different platforms and you quickly found out that, you know, it was an onerous situation for other operators besides yourself. And then you decided, I'm going to stream like this. I've got a better idea. Take us there. Yeah. Let, well, let me back all the way up to even the 1950s. Canners was kind of leading, leading the way um, with, with catering. Catering is kind of like the first off-premise version of, of you know, our, our experimenting with food leaving canners and people ordering it for parties and, and funerals and 
bar mitzvahs and um, canners used to really like be that was one of the big profit centers for for driving our business historically um, so over time it's really evolved in so many ways when people started using the phone to place phone orders and um, we had our own delivery drivers for a long time and so it was exciting when these new companies like Grubhub and E24 came around and they uh, you know they really created this holistic way for us to outsource delivery. Um, the orders were placed on someone else's platform. Somebody else was dealing with driving the orders. And it was, it was really beneficial for us because it reduced things like insurance costs for the drivers. And you didn't have drivers sitting around twiddling their thumbs or drivers trying to take too many orders um, at once. And we, we immediately found some, some success with that. And, just one other thing to note is that um, 2009, 2010, when the recession hit us, uh, we were, our foot traffic in the restaurant was down and we were forced to figure out new ways to reach customers. So the timing kind of forced our hand to say, we have to uh, figure out how to, how to connect with, with people who are not in our restaurant. And we saw delivery as a great path to do that. Um, so we signed up for, for some of the early platforms um, we got that rolling and immediately found we were doing 20, 30, 40 orders a day on these platforms, um, which was big business for us. So, um, my, my, uh, my job was to implement new technology for our business. So I was always doing research and going to the local restaurant convention to figure out, you know, are there any other online ordering platforms I should be paying attention to? Um, and from there I found, you know, companies like DoorDash and Delivery.com and Postmates and eventually Uber Eats. And every time I found a new platform, I realized if we weren't listed on that platform, we didn't exist to the people who were using it. So I signed up for everything. Um, and the chaos really started to come uh, after we got to about 12, 13, I think we got up to 14 online ordering services total. Um, and each one was designed independently. Um, so they all had their own interface or hardware or tablet that we needed to train our staff how to interface with and use and manage. Um, we ended up with nine tablets, two laptops, and a fax machine just to manage all these incoming online orders. Um, but the results were amazing um, from a revenue perspective. Online ordering quickly became 30% of our business. Um, as a restaurant, which meant we were generating millions of dollars a year just from these third-party delivery services. So um, the staff hated me. Um, they wanted to kill me because they now had to deal with all of this hardware to manage and orders were flying in. They had to figure out how to get that order information from the front of the house into the kitchen. We were messing up orders left and right. Um, oftentimes the, the kitchen staff would actually just fold their arms and say, we're not doing any online orders anymore. And there was kind of a mutiny happening in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, it was just too much hardware, mixed up orders, unhappy customers. It goes on we were, and on, right? Yeah. We were not set up for it is what I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. We were a mortar restaurant that had to learn how to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not just from the fulfillment standpoint, it's the drivers coming in. We needed an area, a pickup zone 
for the drivers to walk in and wait. And, and that conflicted with, you know, people ordering up at the deli counter. So it was really problematic um, to figure out how to get this to work. So for me, um, I reached out to a number of restaurant owners in my network to figure out what they were doing to solve this. And I, I ran into one of two things. It was either um, I'm doing online ordering and it sucks <laughs> um, or it's too complicated. We decided not to do it and we're leaving money on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really frustrating for me. I, I figured, you know, as a restaurant operator, I, I wanted to make this work. I wanted to make it simple for restaurants to connect to these, these great delivery services. Um, and so I, I ended up meeting a great uh, team of people who were thinking about how to solve this problem. And in January of 2017, basically, you know, four co-founders, we, we all came together and said, let's fix this in Cantor's Deli and bring it to restaurants outside of Cantor's to help, um, you know, allow restaurants to participate and give them a simple tool that, that allows them to take orders from Uber Eats or Postmates or any of these great online ordering platforms in a, in a much more streamlined way. So we really took a step back and reimagined the entire online ordering experience from scratch in a kitchen and said, if this can work in any way, what would we want it to do? And that was really where we started this business. And, and that was the foundation of OrderMark. So we immediately realized that the way that online orders should flow is um, it should be incoming information standardized and sent directly to an Epson thermal printer in the kitchen, um, which is how restaurants are already used to receiving order information. Correct. And mm-hmm. so the first thing we did was we reached out to Epson, the printing company, and said, we want to collaborate and build this all-inclusive device and tool for online ordering management. And they were so excited to work with us on this. They, they had mentioned that a lot of large chains had kind of asked them if there was some sort of solution for this. Um, they sent us some, some, some uh, printers to, to kind of test with and build some software. And we spent the first six months working behind the deli counter, um, just figuring out you know, how, do we, how do we make this flow in a restaurant? What are the properties of online ordering? And from there, we, we, you know, we really built the first version of the product and started working with other restaurants in the LA area um, to, to give these restaurant owners the ability to take orders in a much more manageable, streamlined way. That's fantastic. So the key word there is standardization. And now you're taking multiple platforms, which you still use with OrderMark, all the top platforms out there. And now it's all coming into a centralized dashboard, going to one simple printer. You've eliminated all the hardware issues. You've eliminated the stress for the staff. And now, you know, it's just a streamlined system. I think that's amazing. What's the onboarding like for a new customer? How long does it take to get up to speed and, and, you know, set them up? Well, we wanted to make this whole process as painless as possible. Yes. So um, originally, you know, we were driving around LA, plugging in these printers for our restaurants and connecting them to the internet. And eventually we we this um, solution that allows us to ship um, a device, a, a printer device anywhere across the country um, with a very simple instruction guide to plug it in, activate it and get the orders flowing. 
Um, so we've, we've reduced the, the sign up to go live time uh, to about a week is, is what we're averaging. Right now. And are there any, you know, glitches at this point or it's all been debugged and now you've got tech support that's always available if there's a problem, but it's still software, right? I mean, what are some of the issues? Yeah. Well, you know, really when we, when we started, we, we, went out with this mentality that we really need to consolidate these online ordering systems into a, into, into one. And then after talking to a lot of restaurants and, and just kind of really doing some deep thinking about my own experience, I realized what was even more important than that was having the ability to push information back out to the online ordering services. Um, and what that means is, um, the reality of a restaurant is that you have times where you're busy or there's times where you run out of certain items. So we wanted to create the ability and a single kind of command center dashboard to allow restaurants to update their menus, 86 items, turn on and off services, throttle their prep time, um, all these, these basic requirements of a, of a real live restaurant environment. Um, allow our restaurant owners and operators to push these updates out back to the online ordering services. And that really um, for us was, was a challenge to build that functionality because not every online ordering service had a lot of the capabilities to, to do that. And they all have, you know, because they were all designed independently, we had to figure out ways to work with all these different systems and interface with them and, send updates back to them. And a lot of the online ordering systems were a little old school or some of them, you know, had very good two-way APIs that we were able to plug right into. But we really have, have had to collaborate um, with these partners to make this, this product work. And we're, we're excited about all the progress that we've made working with, with these online ordering partners to make the restaurant life easier so that they can focus on the consumer side and the people who are actually placing the orders. That's a very important point that you made. Let's talk about consistency of service amongst the different platforms. You've obviously selected the ones that have the best service, that have the best ratings and all of that. Uh, did you run into consistency problems in the beginning where, you know, d drivers were unreliable or, you know, food got left behind, orders were mixed up? I mean, any of those things that you'd think of would happen, probably happened during this, you know, beta test, you might say, of getting the whole thing up and running. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a very interesting question because, you know, we, we can do everything right on our end and then all of a sudden... Um, in, in Los Angeles, particularly, there's um, you know it's a huge delivery market, and when it rains, um, sometimes the online ordering volume will pick up you know 50% um, more than what it's normal normally doing. So if there's a shortage of drivers on the road, yeah. it means that food is going to be sitting in the restaurant longer than it's supposed to be. Um, so there will be times where you know, there's, there's not enough drivers on the road for an online ordering platform and we can do everything to get the food to the kitchen and they make it and they put it up and then no one comes to pick it up for 45 minutes and the, the customer uh, waiting for it gets upset and angry and they're calling the restaurant saying, where's my food? Um, but it's not up to the restaurant at that point because they've done their job of making the food, putting it up, but there's just no, no there's no driver to come pick it up. So even if you 
even if you do everything right, there's still error points that are being worked out through um, through this process. And you know, online ordering through third-party services is a very new um, initiative. This this wasn't you know a big thing 10, 20 years ago whatsoever. Um, so there's still um, with these online ordering companies growing so quickly and so large. Um, they're still working out little kinks in their system to make the process better, um, to, to introduce new tools to allow, you know, the restaurants to mark the order as ready for pickup if it's done early. And um, I think we've come a long way in the last couple of years um, to make this process better. I remember we did our own delivery, but you mentioned some of the pitfalls to that that I certainly experienced, the rising insurance costs. And, you know, not necessarily knowing where the driver, what the drivers were doing and if they're actually going efficiently from place to place. And, you know, some people, some nights you're standing around waiting for deliveries to come in and you're paying people and all that sort of thing. So this, this definitely takes a lot of those pitfalls out of the system. But again, the consistency is important. And the fact that, you know, unfortunately, you know, these third-party services aren't the ones getting the bad reviews. It's the restaurant when the customer thinks the restaurant's the one not delivering as opposed to the third-party service. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's an interesting dynamic because sometimes it is, um, sometimes the fault is on the restaurant. Um, and, and then the online ordering company gets blamed as well. So okay. as you can imagine, like, when, the st- when a staff in a busy kitchen is, like, cranking out food, Sometimes they'll forget, you know, to, to put the side dish in. You know, just yesterday I ordered uh, here, here in our office and we ordered two burritos and it only came with one burrito. Um, it just happens, you know. But restaurants sometimes mess up food. But in an actual uh, brick-and-mortar location, you have an opportunity as a restaurant to repair it by going to the back and saying, hey, we forgot, you know, this side sauce or, or whatnot. But... Um, when it comes to delivery and you're a customer and you just order and you've waited a half hour, 45 minutes and your food shows up and it's not right, you can't tell anyone in lifetime that there's something wrong. Um, so it's really important to give restaurants the best chance of getting it right on the first time and sending order information to a tablet that's sitting you know, up at the host stand or behind the bar um, to me is not giving the restaurant the best chance of getting it right, but getting that order information streamlined and standardized right into the kitchen feed um, to me ensures the best chance of getting that order right. And we've seen at least the data across our restaurants is that they've been able to improve order accuracy um, and also just getting the food up for the drivers in a, a much shorter amount of time, which is just kind of advancing the process forward um, to reduce the, the errors that can happen in this sort of exchange. I'm curious about the pricing or how the model works when you've got multiple platforms. So let's start with the, the restaurant customer that wants to start an online ordering service and they contact Ordermark and they might be in a huge metro location that has all those different delivery platforms, some of the big ones that you mentioned, or it might be a rural area in Nebraska 
that has one or two or whatnot. So I'm curious how, you know, the revenue share gets uh, sort of distributed and are they paying multiple platforms? Are they just paying order mark for this one common service? And then you're doing some sort of a revenue share? Like, how does that work? Um, so the way that we, our business model is basically we are charging restaurants just a small flat monthly fee. Okay. Um, and they still pay the online ordering companies their you know, percentages and take rates. Gotcha. It's like normal that they're getting paid. We're not changing the way that the restaurants are getting paid by the online ordering services. We're just giving them this fulfillment technology and uh, giving them access to take additional orders and helping them understand how to conduct a successful delivery business um, and also helping educate them to know what's even available and relevant in their zip code. A lot of restaurants don't even know what's going on in their city. Um, and sometimes um, what our job is, you, you mentioned two of our, our, you know, kind of standard setups, which is a restaurant in a major city that might be on a couple platforms already, or maybe someone who's a little bit more remote on a suburb that might be using two platforms. But really what we're finding a lot of right now is restaurants that have never done delivery before or never used third-party apps um, and are basically asking us to say, we don't know how to do this. Can you come set us up for, um, for a delivery business? And we're basically helping transition the brick-and-mortar traditional restaurant business into what we're calling the e-commerce phase of the restaurant industry or helping these restaurant businesses become digital. And oftentimes that means setting them up with maybe even one or two platforms to start getting them used to the fulfillment and order flow. And then when they're ready, they can always add additional platforms from there. Okay. Is the percentage that the delivery platforms are taking fairly standardized or does it vary? Is it all over the map or fairly consistent? You know, it's, it's fairly consistent. It used to be a little bit more um, variable. Um, but overall, when thinking about, you know, kind of more on the expensive side is like um, Uber Eats is pretty consistent um, at, you know, 30%-ish take rate. Um, now, if you're a large chain or have some influence in, in, in your brand, you have the ability to negotiate these rates. Of course. Um, but a lot of restaurants actually make the mistake of negotiating themselves out of marketing. Um, and so they'll say, you know, give me the lowest possible percentage. Um, and then they get put on the seventh page of Grubhub. Um, so we actually, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't want to discourage our, our restaurants from like losing that visibility because it's really important um, to have good SEO on these apps. Right. Um, but overall, when thinking about profitability of online ordering, um, if you're a brick and mortar restaurant and you are thinking about adding delivery, um, the idea of Uber Eats taking you know 30% of every order seems impossible. It seems like at that point you're maybe trading you know, trading dollars or um, losing money potentially. Um, just if you if you think about the, the razor thin margins of a restaurant, it feels hard to comprehend. But in reality, it's really um, there's a lot of data that, that that backs this up. But it's incremental revenue. Online ordering through third party delivery is estimated to be about eighty four percent incremental. Um, and that means that you're not taking away from your existing restaurant's orders. 
you're really finding new customers. So if you already have rent and your staff is already there, yeah, and, the lights are, and the lights are already on, you know, the fixed costs are there whether you're doing delivery or not. So adding delivery into your business, you have obviously your food costs, which could be 25, 30%. Um, you have the online order and take rate, which is 25, 30%. But that still leaves a huge profit margin on those orders. Um, and we see, we really believe that online ordering, even with the third-party take rates, could be you know, 30% profitability on every order, which is unheard of in the restaurant industry. Now, it's fairly standard to add a delivery charge or fee to the order. Is that correct? And are you seeing what that standard fee might be? across the country? Is there a standard? Uh, there's no, I wouldn't say there's a standard, um, but I think there's a willingness to pay a delivery fee from customers, and it could be anywhere from you know, free delivery to um, popular prices like $2.99 and $3.99, and we've seen all the way up to you know, $8 for, for passing a delivery cost onto the customer. Um, generally, the online ordering services that provide their own drivers that fee goes directly to them to cover their costs. Um, but there are a lot of online ordering services that will simply generate the order for you. And then it's up to you to figure out how to deliver it. Mm -hmm. um, so you can charge whatever you want to pass on to the customer. You can charge nothing and, and eat the, the delivery fee. If you, you know, already have drivers that are working in your restaurant, but um, it's really um, a combination of distance and, and, and uh, proximity, all, all this, uh, there's all these factors that go into determining that delivery fee price. Um, from my experience at Canners, we've actually had a lot of success um, from opting into these promos of doing free delivery. So Postmates, for example, um, they allow you to, uh, to cover the cost of delivery. Um, instead of charging it to the customer, they allow the restaurant to bear that. Um, which obviously costs a little bit more per order, but we've been doing that um, for a long time with them. And we found that it's, you know, 3x the order volume that we were getting on Postmates just by um, reducing that delivery fee for the customer. And because our average basket size is so large, our average delivery order at Canners um, is about $30 per ticket, um, which is about, you know, almost 40% higher than our in-store average basket. So it's, it's really beneficial for us to drive volume to, to Postmates. And for us, it made a lot of sense to do free delivery on their, on their uh, platform. So that begs the question, if a restaurant decides to charge a delivery fee, does the end dining consumer that orders the food sort of believe that that fee covers the driver's gratuity that drops the food off or is then there's some sort of an expectation from the delivery driver that hey i'm also supposed to get a tip on this how does that shake out um i think people underestimate the fact that that these drivers are relying on tips yes uh, and i think it's really important to tip the drivers no matter what the delivery fee is whether it's free or five dollars um, even if whether, whether or not that a portion of that or all of it is going to the driver anyways, um, I, I still, you know, after being a, an employee that was directly tipped while I was waiting tables or bartending, um, I, I know that that's kind of what, what that job requires, um, in order to be 
you know, livable wage. And, and so it doesn't really matter what's going on. I always suggest to tip your drivers. <laughs> okay, very good. Let's talk about reporting. I understand Ordermark has reporting that sort of shows you where the revenue is coming from amongst the different platforms that you select. Is that correct? What else does it do? Yeah, one of the big challenges as a restaurant owner, and this is something I always joke with my dad about, is I always kind of test him and I say, Dad, how many delivery orders do you think we did last week? And because there's so many different systems and they're all, you know, they all have different backends and reporting functionality, he has no idea kind of where we're at or, or from an accounting standpoint, he just like, he, he, he actually guessed and he was off by almost 400 online orders <laughs> because of how crazy it was before order mark. Um, and we, we came in and we built this, um, this, this dashboard that gives cross-platform you know, sales data, cross-platform analytics. It shows top-selling items sold across every online ordering service. And most importantly, um, one of my favorite charts that we provide to our restaurants is the online ordering flow um, throughout the day. So it, it allows us to make decisions about how to properly staff for online ordering. Um, and you'd be surprised that the times where there's peak online ordering rush is not when you would imagine it would be if you were just kind of uh, using a gut or guessing. And, and really the peak time for, for us um, as a business was 11 a.m. to noon because that's when people are ordering to get their delivery from 12 to 1 p.m. Mm-hmm. So um, we realized we needed to shift some things around staffing-wise um, just to just to help with that influx of volume um, at certain peaks, especially the late night peak. We've, we've had the privilege of working with restaurants and giving them these insights. And we had a restaurant that was open till 10 p.m. Um, selling pizza. And then once they saw that they were getting this kind of crazy peak rush right at 9.30 p.m., they decided to extend their hours a little bit um, just for delivery. So they actually closed the restaurant um, for walk-ins past 10 p.m., but they, now they leave it open till one in the morning um, with the staff member there just doing delivery orders because they were able to see on that graph, you know, how how their delivery business was moving. With all your experience in setting up this system and working with such a wide cross-section of restaurants across the country, do you offer specific recommendations on foods that do not travel well under no circumstances should you put this on your delivery menu? I think you mentioned matzo ball soup earlier in the interview, and I'm saying, does that travel well? Matzo ball soup travels very well, surprisingly. Okay. <laughs> the right soup container for it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's definitely um, a... Um, I would say a learning curve to figuring out how to how to assemble the menu and, and the menu engineering that goes into creating a successful delivery menu. Um, we do actually have a best practices guide where we help restaurants identify, you know, if there's an item that takes obnoxiously long to make, remove yes. it from the delivery menu. We don't want something slowing down right. uh, the delivery orders. Um, if there's you know, chili cheese fries on your menu and you want to do it for delivery, um, it's really important to serve the chili and the cheese in a side container. That way the fries stay crispy and hot. Um, and then you can pour it on once it's, uh, once it's delivered. Um, there's a lot of kind of tricks to, to 
preventing food from getting really soggy and and a lot of it has to do with just trimming the menu down in the first place so we do um, kind of guide our restaurants down that path obviously every restaurant is set up differently and you're not going to tell you know a restaurant where the number one selling item is ice cream not to sell ice cream on delivery because um, that's business so um, it really depends on on what you're trying to accomplish and um, the work that we did with Yogurtland to help one of their franchisees create a successful delivery menu was a good example of how you can you can do things a little bit differently online than you, than what you're doing in store. Traditionally, at Yogurtland, you you know you walk up, you fill your cup with yogurt and weigh it, um, so that doesn't translate, you know, on Grubhub. So instead, we we came up with them, we worked with them to come up with some different uh, preset sizes, so an eight ounce cup or a 16 ounce cup, and it allows you to pre-select the toppings and, and just helping them build a, a delivery menu was what they needed to get started. That's all fantastic information. You know, I understand that about 82% of the American public orders out every single month. So what a huge percentage and what a huge profit center for a restaurant. Have we missed anything that you wanted to cover um, in this little episode of the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, Alex? Um, no, I just uh, just to touch on that, that stat real quick, I think um, a lot of restaurants are looking at online ordering and saying, this is scary. Maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we should revolt. But in my opinion, I think that uh, this is the most exciting thing that has happened to the restaurant industry in a long time. And the idea that people are replacing cooking at home or grocery shopping or um, all, all of these um, ways that they're consuming food, it, the consumer behavior is really shifting to come from the restaurants. And I, I'm like trying to encourage restaurants to just go all in and really embrace it and figure out how to do it right rather than rejecting it and saying this is too expensive or this doesn't work. There's a way for every restaurant to participate and we're here to help make that happen. I think you made the key point. This is incremental sales. It's still profitable. You want to fill your seats internally, but then again, you don't want to lose customers to your competitors. You need every advantage. So I don't see any reason why a restaurant wouldn't look at this as another profit center and another way of, you know, reaching a new audience. So I think it's been tremendous information. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thanks for, for the, the conversation. I think it's, it's an important one. So. Thank you, Alex. You had a great story. I wish you the best of success, not only with Cantor's, but with Ordermark. And I certainly encourage the audience to check out Ordermark. Why don't you give them uh, really quickly what your URL is and any social media handles that you'd like uh, to be followed on? Yeah, it's pretty easy to find us. Just just uh, go to ordermark.com or uh, you can find us on Instagram or Twitter or any of, any of your favorite social media platforms. But um, give us a call and we can we can get you started right away. Fantastic. Hey, thank you so much, Alex, for being on the podcast. That was another episode of the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and we'll see you soon. Thanks so much. Guys, today's guest was all about a system that simplifies the online ordering process. You know, every restaurant is a series of systems, and if these systems aren't in place, you're just spinning your wheels, wondering why your restaurant isn't as profitable as it could be, isn't efficient. It's crazy, right? Well, if you're all about systems, check out restaurantrockstars.com. 
I'm really excited to announce we've just launched an all-new website and a new pricing model. We have one series of systems called the Restaurant Rockstars Academy at three different levels of membership. Level one includes a complete financial system to help you dial in all your critical numbers. It teaches you how to take inventory simply, how to calculate your food, beverage, and labor costs, also known as prime costs, how to calculate your daily break-even. It gives you a simple tool and an audio tutorial that teaches you how to find these numbers, where to find them, how to plug them into simple automated spreadsheets that we include and to analyze these numbers in just minutes per week, even if you hate the numbers. It also includes our Profit Maximizer video, giving you three new ways to increase profits in your restaurant. Level two is all about staff training, development, recognition, and rewards. It'll help you build what I call your dream team staff in your restaurant. And it also includes everything that's included in level one, the complete financial system. And then if you're just starting your very first restaurant and you don't know the first thing about opening the doors, to a brand new enterprise, the Academy Level 3 is for you. Maybe you're a chef who's always worked for someone else and you've always wanted to put your name on the door and suddenly you realize it's about marketing and human relations and insurance and logistics and all the issues that you didn't want to deal with because you're just putting out delicious food. Or maybe you're a veteran operator and you're just, again, spinning your wheels wondering why your bank account isn't growing. Well, Academy Level 3 includes everything. The complete financial system, the staff training and development system, and marketing firepower. How to build new and repeat business with little or no money, plus efficiencies. So check it out at restaurantrockstars.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes. It'll help other managers and operators find us. And I really appreciate you reaching out to me. If you've got a topic you'd like to hear about or a guest you'd like me to interview, let me know at roger, R-O-G-E-R, at restaurantrockstars.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.